from the Black Swan Media Studio. Deep inside a secret underground bunker. We're speaking to freedom-loving patriots from all around the country and the world. Welcome to the resistance. This is John Crump live. And we're back for the final episode of the week. And we have a great guy that I want to pick the brain of a little bit. And we have a returning guest from earlier on in the week. But before we bring on our guest, let's bring on Flying Rich. Flying Rich, how are you doing? Good. Hey, John, miss you. You know, a lot. Yeah, yeah, we just did a live stream about uh, an hour ago. That was supposed to be like a fifteen-minute live stream, and it went that was uh, killer. That was great. Over an hour. Um, we are joined by the one, the only Daniel Woodworth, MMA fighter, retired, <laughs> GOA guy, and TV contestant, producer, YouTuber, Star Wars fanatic, and everyone else. He was on the show Monday, and we're going to introduce our final guest. But before we do that, remember, we are sponsored by Gideon Optics. Gideon Optics makes affordable optics that are great, and I run them on all my firearms, and you should too. And we have Don Mann, the man of the hour. Don, if you do not know, is... (laughs) Okay, if you look up a dictionary of extreme things people can do, that's his biography, just do that uh former phil team six member uh you uh went on an expedition to try to climb everest you did adventure racing which is insane racing uh you have best-selling books a tv host and i'm probably missing about 80 other things well john it's good to be on the show with you it's good to see you yeah. So, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. You know, I've been staying glued to the news. That's uh, keeping my attention lately. And, um, but uh, pretty much, I'm doing well. I'm staying busy, working out, and things like that. Yeah. 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 There, your old unit is apparently on the ground in Israel right now. Yep. Yep. I heard that. Uh, JSOC, SEAL Team Six, Delta Force. Probably some hostage rescue team guys from the FBI went out there. And and I'm really, really happy to hear they went out there because I've worked with the Israeli Defense Forces quite a bit over the years uh, in Israel and other places. And they are really good. But so is uh, SEAL Team 6 and Delta Force. um, I I don't believe no matter how good the IDF is, they can't do this alone. So I'm really happy to hear that our guys went out there. Do you think they're going to try to attempt some hostage rescues or you don't know? Why well, I, I don't know, but I do believe, you know, there are American hostages there and um, it is our responsibility to, to try to get those Americans out alive. And there's nobody better to do it than our tier one units. Yeah. The, the, the tier one units are badass. Um, you're, you're like the only cell uh, team six guy I know, but um I do know a few uh, Delta guys. I used to work at the State Department. And as you probably know, Delta and State Department work very closely together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they were the what we call sister you know, units. Um, I always made fun of the Delta guys. I said, oh, you can't swim? You know, you couldn't get in. <laughs> uh, yeah, Delta guys are really professional, super, super talented. 
And uh, when you're doing something with a Delta guy, it's done right. You know, those guys are great. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really good guys, too. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, Cell Team 6 uh, and, you know, like DevGuru, whatever, and Delta, they're like the epitome of the quiet operators. You know? Yeah. You know, um, when, when you, the difference is really, the only difference is they, they also have a maritime capability. SEAL Team 6 has a pretty robust maritime capability. Sea, air, and land is SEAL, of course. But uh, the difference between Delta Force and SEAL, SEAL Team 6, is SEAL Team 6, you come from a SEAL team. You've got this level of experience and amount of deployments and all that. And then you get selected for SEAL Team 6. So when you get to 6, you're a very experienced operator. And Delta Force, they usually get their guys from Special Forces in the Ranger community, but they they go army wide. They can pick their people from anywhere they want. It doesn't have to be special forces or ranger, although it normally is. And yeah, uh, then they the go of course selection to, to become Delta. And I've never met a Delta guy who's less than a hundred percent right on. Yeah, the guys I know they all came from um, a seventy fifth Ranger battalion, battalion. Yeah, seems like a lot of them come from there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah that that that's cool so i i think that they will do something if if they have the correct intel because everything depends on intel right yep and you know of course we get a lot of bad intel and um but the one thing i'm comforted in knowing is that when it makes the news you know there's a lot of things they've already done you know so they're they're over there working already, and we we won't hear it on the news, and we don't want to hear it on the news. The public shouldn't hear it on the news, but you know they they're, they're not uh, over there for vacation. They're they're hard at work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely. So what what have you been up to besides uh, watching the news? <laughs> well, um, I'm I'm involved in a TV show called Surviving Man, which that's how I know Gundock. <laughs> And, uh, and um, so that's been a lot of fun. We've been uh, filming. We just came off a dive boat, filming off a dive boat in Belize, where a lot of, it was maritime missions we were training for, a lot of scuba, open swims, nighttime swims. And we actually had our assault teams, our, our members in the show, come up under a ship and disable a ship in the middle of the night with fishing nets. And they had to disable this ship because it had chemical warfare agents on it. And then they came back and they got reports that they just did, they did just disable the ship. However, they sent divers in, cut off the fishing nets. And now the ship's making movement. And so they had to go back on and do another dive in the middle of the night on scuba tanks, board the ship once it was um, stable. They, they uh, got on the ship and they... Uh, they got these containers of a chemical agent, got them off the boat, and um, two mission successes back to back. It was a really good time. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it. So this is uh, the third season. Yes. Yep. And um, I'm going tomorrow to Colorado to um, put on a, a training event for some executives where we're going to do a lot of climbing, rope climbing, via ferrata. Um, and we're going to do a, a little mission out there in Colorado where these executives are going to go after um, this cartel unit. They've taken a girl hostage 
and they're into drug uh, drug smuggling and also human trafficking. So I'll be doing that with them and then going to New Jersey and doing some leadership training with a financial institution. So I've been staying busy with that type of thing. Yeah. The, the, the missions that you, that you run these people through, how do you come up with them? Do you come up with them or do somebody else comes up with, how do how do they come up? How do they come about? I come up with them, but uh, it's, in the middle of the night, I'll wake up thinking, oh, my God, I got to write this down. This is going to be really cool. And I just think about it all the time. But to tell you the truth, I get a lot of it from the news and seeing what's going on in the news and historically what's happened with our military and, and try to base it off things that have happened or are happening currently. No, that's cool. So you just like look and take uh, current events and craft the story around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I've written some books in the same way. And, uh, you know, the, the movie Forrest Gump, you know, my mother loved that movie. I loved it. But we had this common bond of Forrest Gump. And I was thinking about her. She had passed away. And I was thinking about her. I started thinking about that movie. Then I started thinking that movie was really a history lesson. It was uh-huh. a history lesson with this fictional character. He's not a real guy. He's just a fictional guy. But he went through Watergate and Vietnam and through the Nixon administration, Kennedy and Johnson. And then his girlfriend died of the virus, which was ending up being called AIDS. But it was a history lesson. I started thinking, you know, I'm not a great writer, but I could probably, with the help of a really good writer, come up with a story that maybe a SEAL guy or a Delta Force guy or maybe an agency guy can, can do these missions of things that have happened in the past and do the same thing as like the Forrest Gump show did with a historical lesson. Mm-hmm. So I called uh, the writer for the TV show Murder, She Wrote, and um, and his name is Thomas Sawyer. And I said, hey, Tom, I got this great idea, but I'm not good of enough of a writer to do this. Would you like to help me out? And he said, man, I love that idea, but I can't really help you. I'm too busy with this TV show I'm working on. So I connected with a good friend of his who's a very, very accomplished writer, was dating Madonna and and he goes to parties with Jack Nicholson and Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, big, big type guy. And he's a really great friend of mine now. And I told him about the idea and he came out to Virginia from Hollywood to meet with me and we wrote a book. But what we did, we we went forward like this is what would happen in the SEAL community. This is what a mission a SEAL could get. And everything was non, you know, nothing was uh, sensitive. And so we just did it in different countries. And then, believe it or not, the publisher liked it. And then we went on for eight different books, one after another, after another, but all based on what could actually happen. And um, so so that, that, that worked out really well, I thought. Well, that's very cool. So you got a series of eight books? Yeah, yeah actually 23 wow. books in total. But um, oh, eight books was the series, and uh-huh. it was it was a fictional series, but based on things that are happening or what did happen historically. Now I've read I've read quite a few of your books. Oh, you have? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, for season one, we did. I didn't know what to expect. No one, no one did. Yeah. So I was trying to get to know who you were, because the way it was presented is we would be competing against you. So I was trying to learn the man so to speak well i would have been slaughtered competing against you and the other guys you know you guys would have beat me pretty badly uh 
and that was the original concept that the producer Bob Seifel wanted me to compete with the, the the champion of the show, and I said, Bob, come on, I'm in my 60s, even at my best years, you know, competing with these guys, you know, I'm not going to win, and uh, so I changed up the concept last minute when I met you all and said, you guys think you're here for some reality TV show? Well, it's not that. We need some hardcore people like yourself to um, to help us out and putting together a selection course because there's a guy who's going to be assassinated at the end of the week and we got to save that guy. And he's got a lot of good Intel and a lot of information and he's to support the U S government, U S military with this information. And now they're going to execute him and the military and the government doesn't want anything to do with him at all. But now we have you guys in one place and ladies, and we got to put together a selection course and go, go free this guy. And then that's what you all did. And, um, yeah, you guys, you know, you, you're brilliant in the way you carry that off. You pull that off. Yeah, I mean, I, I like how you guys come up with a with with the story. It's just not like a regular reality show where it's like every week. There's actually a storyline to it. Yes. Yeah, you know, the the producer told me, and he he doesn't really have a uh, spec ops background. He was in the navy, but he said there's three ways to do things. The producer and the director get together and they tell the host, which is me. Tell the host what to do. That's not going to work here. He said, or the host and the producer and director all get together and they talk about what's going to happen. But that just takes a lot of time. And we didn't really have to do all that. And he said, the third way is you do what you want. You do the training you want to. You you do whatever you think is right and we'll produce it and direct it. And uh, we have that agreement. And it's it's been really almost flawless on the way it works. And, and I won't do anything to hurt anybody or endanger anybody's lives, although injuries can happen. But they just say, yep, let's go. We'll shoot it. We'll produce it. We'll film it. And we'll edit it and all that. So it works out well. Yeah, nothing's intentional. when you, you try to avoid injuries, but they're not always avoidable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Plus, too, and those guys, they have the mentality that even if they're sick or injured, they're going to keep pushing and so forth and so on. It's just the type of people that were there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like professional athletes. Sometimes they need to be protected against themselves. You know, when when you have that mindset where you're going to keep going no matter what, it is um, it's it's hurting the seals a little bit right now. I think, and of course, that's a mentality everybody has in the teams is can do attitude. We can do it no matter what. You know, give me a K bar in my in my mouth and I'll swim and I'll go get the enemy myself. <laughs> it's just the attitude you have. And it's the attitude I still have and the attitude I like to have. And unfortunately what I'm seeing now, it's uh, it's discouraging because now the young guys in the teams, you know, a lot of them have been at war their whole lives, their whole adult lives, 20 plus years, non nonstop back-to-back wars. We had it easy. We didn't have two back-to-back wars when I was in, you know, we had it easy relative to what happened just the last 20 years. Sure. But boy, it's it's really sad to see people in my generation and before my generation, even after my generation, going through all these medical problems. And so many of them, oh, man, I just I got another one today. A good friend of mine died. So many of them are dying early. And I have a really good friend who lives in a car. And uh, he was one of the my favorite operators to look up to, a SEAL, when I was at SEAL Team 1. As a brand-new SEAL, I always looked up to this guy because he was good. 
good shot, good tactics, good, good everything. He was really good at everything. And then he went over to SEAL Team 6, and eventually I got to 6. I followed him, and I looked up to him at 6 because he became one of the top Team 6 operators too. And this guy was just, in my mind, the best you can be. And I hear from him, you know, maybe every couple weeks. And uh, he lives in a car now, and he can't be around people. And I said, are you okay? Why are you living in your car? I said, I, I can't be around people yet. It's been about six years I've been living in my car. It's not really a car. It's a Suburban. And I have my bed, and I have my stuff, and I have my gun. And I go down to the pool once or twice a week and take a shower. And he is so intelligent. When you talk to him on the phone, you would think he was like, you know, a top-notch operator, which he is and was. But he's, it's damaged his brain. You know, mm -hmm. everything he's gone through, it's damaged his brain. And, and he's just one case of a lot of guys I know that they've been affected by, yes, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I'll go on this mission. I'll go on this mission. I'll go on this mission. Uh, the family will be fine. I don't need to go home for another six months or so. Let me keep going. And it's what makes the SEALs teams and the other special forces teams so great. But it's I'm seeing the damage it's done on our folks with that can-do attitude. And we got to keep that attitude, of course. And mm -hmm. I'm just saying a, a bad side effect of that attitude. There's a lot of great side effects, too, but. Yeah. Is there some form of exit training when, when you leave the service that they prep you for regular civilian life to get you, you know, acclimated? There are. There, there are probably about 20 programs now. And, um, you know, the high incidence of PTSD and these uh, micro concussions and concussions and brain trauma. Um, everybody is trying to find a, a, a solution. Uh -huh. And... Um, I haven't yet heard of anything that's helped anybody yet, though. Yeah, I have a friend uh, that was a combat controller, and he did, I think, like 12 to 14, I can't remember the exact number, 12 to 14 combat deployments in, like, three different war zones. Uh, he was, uh, because combat controllers, they're Air Force, but they get implanted with whoever. Yeah. Um, so he was actually, he tried to get a, he PTSD, like, pretty bad and you try to get out and uh so you go out in what's called inactive reserve so he wanted to get out and then they reactivated him because of a lack of combat controllers and he's like I, I have ptsd pretty bad and they're like here's your waiver oh shoot get back I, I, would, I would probably bet cct the pjs the air force pjs which they come from the same community in the air force special ops Special Forces, Rangers, Marines, and SEALs, I would find it hard to believe if they've been in less or more than six or so years that they don't have PTSD. Yeah. Uh, when I, went to, uh, uh, I went to talk to this uh, psychologist about a couple of friends of mine, and um, she wanted to talk to me about a couple of buddies I know. One of them, when he walks in, he stands against the wall because he's afraid a blast will come through the window, and he doesn't want to get sniper shots through Ooh. the window. I mean, yeah. they are in trouble. I yeah, mean, a lot of guys, they just pushed really, really hard. And they're so unselfish, too, you know. Um, so I'm glad we have such a, at least the Americans, most Americans appreciate what they're doing now. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to name names or anything, uh, but he, he's been a, like a friend of mine before he was actually um, didn't doing what he did. And just to see what he used to be like 
to what he is now. I've known him for years and years. It's dramatic. It's a dramatic difference. He's a totally different person. He's he's always nervous and everything else now. Always on edge. I just feel so bad. I mean, you know, not to make a depressing conversation more depressing, but we've had um, in the naval special warfare community a couple of commanding officers that raise up to the very top to being a commanding officer commit suicide. Mm. It's that bad. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like there's more that can be done for these guys. Yeah. I'm just do, glad you, most, you, know, you get off of airplane and you see their veterans come through in uniform, usually army. They come in in uniform and the crowds clap for them. And, and anytime I see a veteran in a restaurant or anything, I'll, I'll actually, you know, I, I don't say as a veteran, but I say thanks for your service and I pay for the bill, the tab. And uh, we just can't thank them enough what they're doing nowadays. We, we had it easy. I'm not taken away from my generation, but compared to what they're doing now, it's, it, it's, we had it pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, you know, most people that, that are working in the special forces, do they have, uh, are there people that are unaffected? Like what's the ratio of people that have some form of PTSD that versus don't? Uh, I don't really know anybody who wasn't affected. Uh, I could tell you, I went 20 years without going to a doctor because my friends were saying, you better go. Why didn't you just go get checked? I said, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm climbing Everest. I'm doing things like that. I'm fine. I don't need to go see a doctor. Plus, I don't have any entitlement. I don't feel I deserve anything. The government's taken really good care of me. I don't need anything as far as extra pay or disability pay or anything like that. But when I went, I finally promised two SEAL buddies of mine, okay, I'll go. I'll just get a checkup. In two minutes, yep, you've got PTSD. You've got brain damage. You've got all this. They diagnosed that within a minute, I think. Wow. <laughs> and I still don't really believe it. But um, they diagnosed it pretty quickly. And I believe that anybody who, who goes in to get evaluated, who've been in at least a few years, will probably get that diagnosis and more. Yeah, I know one guy that uh, he's a Gernberry, it's another guy I grew up with. Uh, and I, w- I wouldn't say that he's not affected, but he's not as affected as some of the other people I know. Mm-hmm. I know he has a really good sense of carpental. He can carpentalize. Carpentalize. <laughs> yeah, that. You got to say it right. Yeah, yeah, he can do it really well, but. I mean, I, I think that is a talent that you have to be born with. I don't think it can be learned. You know what I like to think about? My father was a World War II vet, and he quit high school when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And he and his whole generation, called the greatest generation, here they are, you know, they get called the war, boom, they're fighting the Jap- Japanese or they're fighting the Germans. They're in World War II, saving the war getting slaughtered, especially Normandy and invasions like that. Uh They came back. Nobody went to the doctor for PTSD or shell shock, whatever they were calling it. They came back and created the greatest country that was ever created. And, and, and uh, they didn't have all the, any of the medical support that we have now. So you, you've got to also weigh it. Well, how did they do that? You know? And then of course the Vietnam guys, they came back somewhat, damaged a lot of them 
But World War II, it didn't seem as noticeable. You know, you didn't even hear about it. And if it was noticeable, I guess that's what you, you just didn't hear about, the, the guys who were really suffering. Yeah, I mean, I think that PTSD did exist back then. I think it was uh, stigmatized, yeah. and yeah. a lot of people yeah. didn't get help. Yeah, they, they, it was that. not the manly thing to do to say, hey, I need some help. You, you don't didn't do right. that back then. Yeah, but I I just saw something recently that showed World War II during like the first day of Normandy or something like that. That more people died during the first day of Normandy than t total in the Iraq and uh, and um, Afghanistan war. Oh yeah, I would definitely believe that. You know, just boats and trying to invade the beaches, Omaha Beach, and yeah, they they, they were set up. They came on an open beach. And the machine guns just ripping them to pieces. Yeah, a lot of people drowned too because yeah, they, they had the heavy gear on and the boats couldn't get all the way to shore. When they jumped off the back of the ramps, they just went below, you know, six, ten feet down. Yeah, yeah, I can't even imagine that. Saving Private Ryan has an opening scene that shows that. And, it, and when I to talk to World War II vets, they say that's what it was. That that was oh my gosh. It was that yeah, my really... grandfather couldn't watch it. Pardon me? My grandfather couldn't watch that scene. He it was just a World War II vet? Yeah, it was just too much for him. He couldn't, yeah. he couldn't handle it. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, I mean, I can't even imagine just, you know, the machine guns raining down on you. And they they knew it was coming and they still went into mm -hmm. gunfire. They went right into it because they knew they were, you know, doing it for our country. I mean, they had that that mindset, like we'll do whatever it takes for our country. Our country's asking for our help. We're there, we're going. It's the greatest yeah. generation. Uh, yeah. Vanessa Kitty, I am sorry for your loss there. Talk about back in 91, um, her uncle succumbed to everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I have so much respect for anyone that is military or was military or currently military. I'm looking up to see if my wife is looking down. <laughs> well, uh, of course, I'm, I, I, I can't get enough of the world news. And I watch the uh, Israeli news quite a bit now and a lot of news sources from overseas. But, you know, we talked about the past, World War II and uh, Vietnam and the last Iraq and Afghan wars, I think there's a possibility, you know, if this war goes regional and in a big way over in Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah and Syria and Iran and now Iraq, that could be one of the biggest challenges our military's ever faced. And it's it's it looks like it's getting it is getting worse every day. And hopefully it's not going to continue to get much worse. But there is a chance our military is going to be challenged um, more so than probably since World War II coming up. Actually, I, I couldn't believe when I heard this, but they said, yeah, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan was a good warm up for what's coming up. You oh, know, my they, gosh. They fought the people out in the desert. And a lot of it was roadside bombs and some house to house and things like that. It was a warm up for what's about to happen. And. You know, when I, when I think about it, CQB, close quarters battle, 
military operations and urban terrain. Um, when you think about it, and we were really, I mean, that's what tier one forces do really, really well, CQB, close quarter battle. And we did it in buildings, homes, villages, um, ships, airplanes, trains, anything that was close quarters. And it, there's always mistakes made. And, but if you take down one building, like the house I'm in now, it could take about eight people to, to do this. And hopefully there's not any blue on blue because somebody uh -huh. might be coming in through one door, someone coming in the roof. There's a lot that goes on. And I start thinking about what could happen in Gaza because now plus 200 plus hostages and now they're underneath those tunnels under the schools and hospitals and buildings. And of course, they've got weeks to set up now, 13 days now to set up for the ground assault to come in. And um, how, I mean, there's going to be some fighting there that we probably haven't seen since probably World War II, if then. Sure. And it's going to be ground forces. And, and of course, it doesn't show something on the shirt saying I'm Hamas. They put down the weapons, right. you don't know who they are. And um, so so I think our military, as, well, I should say right now, the Israeli military, the IDF, they got a lot of work coming their way. And, and we've got 2,000 troops on standby, and us, some of our spec op warriors are there now. But if it escalates, it, it might make what we've done in the last 20 years seem like maybe that was the warm-up. Yeah, and it, you know, it might not be regional. It might go global. I mean, do you look at some of the other people that are? If you, if you look at around the world right now, it looks like the world is split. Um, there's a lot there's of a people, lot. yeah. There's a lot of people that that back the Hamas, the uh, Hamas, and there's a lot of people that back Israel. And it looks like it's split and not only split like this country, this country, this country. There's a lot of split within countries, too. It sickens me to see what's going on at our universities and in Congress. Some of the leaders there. Mm -hmm. God, I can't believe they're Americans. You oh, know, um, They're not. Yeah, they're not. You're right. They're not. Right. Uh, of course, they get a voice, but they're getting too much of a voice. Why, why even have them anywhere around? But it's they're they're infecting our schools and. Um, and, and they're not American. They're not American. Yeah, they, they're going against everything we stand for. And Hamas, okay, yeah, you can think hard. You th Okay, Palestinian people, they are people. Palestinians, and I've worked with Palestinians one-on-one -on -one before, okay? And women and children of a Palestinian family are the same of women and children anywhere in the world. Um, once they get up to um, bringing in Hamas as the you know, de facto leadership or the the government of their of their people there that, that was a big mistake even though maybe 10 to 30 percent voted them in but still hamas is a leadership those are the people they brought it in and israel they don't have much of a choice it could be death by a thousand cuts you know hamas can attack this week and next week and send in missiles the week after it'll never ever end but after this brutal attack they did almost two weeks ago Israel, I think, has made the only decision it could make. We got to defeat Hamas. We got to get them off the face of this earth. And unfortunately, there are going to be some casualties, which just happens in war. But I can say this Israel is doing more to protect the Palestinian people than their own government's doing. They want to keep them there for human shields. 
and Israel, yes. the IDF, and Americans will do the same thing, do everything we can or they can to protect innocent civilian lives. But in doing that, they still got to go cut the head off the, 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 the threat. They've got to neutralize the threat or it's going to be a death of a thousand serious cuts because that threat's going to come at them nonstop. And boy, what happened now, and it's worked in their favor, is, you know, they attacked 13 days ago. They attacked. The whole world basically was on the side of Israel. And then it didn't take long at all for the Hamas and the Palestinians to start showing, look how terrible these Israelis are doing. Look what they're doing to us. Look at these images and pictures. you got to come on our side. So now the tide is already turning where there's almost more support for the terrorists who attacked Israel than there is for Israel. Luckily, Israel has the United States, and I know Germany's backing us and England's backing us. We've got those two aircraft carriers out there standing by right now. England's sending uh, a carrier or they're carrying, um, uh, I'm not sure if it's a carrier or not, but they're sending some boats out there. And Germany's behind us, but we don't have a large presence there. And the rest of the world, like, like we're just saying, you know, we have Russia and North Korea now being involved. And they found North Korean weapons that the Hamas were using. So we have Russia, North Korea, and Iran against, against us as well. And it's, it's a movement that's growing. And um, we are so fortunate we have such a strong military and the IDF is incredibly strong. But if they're going to start, they're already fighting Hezbollah. It's already a two-front war, Hezbollah. And, you know, there was an interview with um, the, the folks up north there saying in uh, Lebanon, why are you letting Hezbollah fire down on Israel? You're going to make this a big regional conflict. And the reporter was saying, well, we can't stop them. They, they, they're based out of Lebanon here, but they take all their orders from Iran. And if, if Iran wasn't supporting Hamas and Hezbollah, there wouldn't be a Hezbollah or Hamas. And it's not just the $6 billion we're supporting or we've given to Iran, which is frozen hopefully right now. But we've been giving them billions of dollars for a long time. I remember when Obama was president and they got caught shipping billions of dollars on an aircraft. They said, what are you doing? They said, oh, we owed this money to Iran because of an arms deal back in the 70s. And we can't do it electronically. They got caught red-handed. And then they, they did some research and found out the Obama administration was sending Iran funds electronically as well. And then Biden, of course, trying to send them this money and John Kerry. I don't know why in the world we would ever support Iran's nuclear program, send them billions of dollars when they say our charter is death to Israel and then death to America. As uh -huh. a Yeah, they call America the great Satan. Um, I got a question. Have you ever watched the uh, there were an old speech from uh, with actually a TV interview with Yuri uh, Bezmanov from the eighties, who was a KGB informer, and he's like, "This is this is uh, what you have to look out. This is the communist plan for the United States," and he lays out the 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 steps. Pretty much what's happening in college, and, and uh, if you look at it, if you watch it and compare it to what's going. It's like step by step. Yeah, there is a guide book, you know, a playbook backed from Stalin. Um, that's pretty much saying, okay, this is how you can change a whole country's 
way of thinking. This is how we become socialists. Get rid of religion because we don't want people to look up at a spiritual leader or a priest or a minister. They should be looking at the government. And, oh, yeah, by the way, you don't have to have parents, mother and father. They're not your they're not the people who should raise you. It's the government. Right. And by the way, we don't even need a boy or girl designation anymore, a man or a female or male or female designation anymore. It's all the same. It doesn't matter. And it's really a playbook that our left has been following. And um, it's it's being followed not by many. And I hope that this war in Israel straightens up the left a little bit. And, and of course, there'll be the wackos like Tlaib and those people. But I do hope this war straightens up the left and brings us together. I love what happened in Israel. You know, they had the prime minister who uh, had a, a, you know, the country, half the country was against Netanyahu before uh -huh. he was voted in. And they had, he had a hard time. And yep. uh, unfortunately, the reservists were saying, if you call us to war, we're not going. And pilots weren't going. Israel had its problems, but as soon as they got attacked, the whole country bound together. And they said, okay, no matter what the politics or everything, we are here to protect our country. And they have to for survival. But I hope some of that happens to the U.S. where mm -hmm. people will see, wow, that happened in Israel. We have a completely wide open border. I mean, who knows who's coming across? Something like that could happen in the U.S. And I remember back in the 90s, we were going after sleeper cells. And we knew there were 200 sleeper cells in the U.S. waiting for a mission. And these are guys who who are just waiting for a mission, who are anti-U.S. And whatever faction or terrorist group they belong to, they would they, they got a shirt and tie. They'd go to work and they'd look like Americans. But they had an agenda. I can't wait for a mission to, to do it for, for their cause, not the American cause. And who knows how many people we have like that now that we'll never know. There's so many oh. ways, and um, we don't we don't track these people at all. But I hope America realizes we got to shut down that border. We can't just have an open border. People who don't like our way of life are coming in, and look what happened to Israel with the best intel uh -huh. agencies in the world. If that uh -huh. can happen to them, why can't it something similar happen to us? And that's what I think America. That's what I hope the people in America realize before something ha bad happens here as well. Well, we looked it up. We have a podcast that we also do, a second podcast that we talk about more controversial issues that would get us demonetized on YouTube. Uh, and on Monday, we did one on Islamic extremism, and we looked at the border statistics. And in July, what was it? 200 and some uh, like people on the terrorist watch list was called or identified? No, yeah, identified. Identified, identified that's right. Um, yeah, not caught, but identified. Identified coming across the border, which is insane. And that's like that was July, <laughs> a single month. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is like this is from actual um, Customs and Border Patrol statistics. So it's not like yes. uh, some conspiracy theory website. We actually looked it up the statistics on Customs and Border Patrol. And not to mention the the fentanyl coming in is just mm -hmm. wiping out such a large group of our people, you know, so many people dying of fentanyl and the human trafficking is so bad. People don't even want to talk about it, but they know it's happening. Right. They're all for keeping that border open and the cartels making a fortune from the trafficking and the drug smuggling and they've running the border now too. We yeah. uh, we've lost a lot of ground over the last couple of years. Well, yeah. let me, let me ask you this. Uh, the fentanyl thing, right? 
a lot of the precursors come from China, and it seems like the Chinese yes. government is complicit on letting that get shipped to Mexico, and then from Mexico, they make it into fentanyl, then ship it to the United States. It kind of reminds me of what happened during the opium wars, but in reverse. Do you think that is intentional? Absolutely. I do. From China, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. China is, the, the fentanyl is, they are, they've been warned so many times. We know they're making precursors for the, all the chemicals you need to make fentanyl. They're sending it to Mexico and other countries, making up the fentanyl itself and, and getting it across the border. Sometimes there'll be a batch that's caught, but some of those batches have been enough to kill every person in the, in the United States. Yeah. Who knows what's getting across? And it's so powerful. And now they're mixing it with Trank, which is a horse tranquilizer that makes fentanyl all the more potent. And, um, and now they're mixing it with chemicals so it's last, it lasts longer. And so you could buy these little fentanyl pieces of paper, it looks like. They're just little tabs of paper with fentanyl in it for $10. And then pretty much now the thinking is any major city, any major city, when you see people on the side of a corner or drug like uh, there's a drug deal going on in these street corners, they're probably selling fentanyl because it's in all the major cities now and people are just dropping left and right from it. And um, it really doesn't make the news. Yeah, I was on fentanyl packages like three days. Um, but I put the, I mean, uh, back, back in the day, it was kind of hurt. So this is before fentanyl became fentanyl. It, well, it's always fentanyl, but before there was like an actual problem and they put me on fentanyl patches. I put one on. Uh, oh my God, I, I was so, so sick. And I kept on going back to the doctor and he's like, no, no, it's it's not that. You know, it's it's something you just probably have the flu. I'm like, I don't think so. I think I better die. And, oh, uh, shoot. And eventually, I was like, I, I got to take this thing, damn thing off. I took it off, and within like an hour, I was totally fine. Hmm. And I was like, that stuff is, it just, uh, it just crushed me. And that was like on a prescribed, controlled dose by a doctor. And what these guys are getting is not prescribed. It's not a controlled dose. I can only imagine what, how dangerous that is. Yeah, because you did have a prescription, and but now you know there's been a story a little while ago. A cop touched a doorknob with yes. one, and he died. And babies yes. are getting it in their cribs, and they're dying. And they just had in a, uh, a daycare center. They found a fentanyl lab there, but I think three kids got some fentanyl in a daycare center, and. Uh, and yeah, so one person can die immediately. Any, any given person can die immediately. And the dosages are high, low, medium. But if you happen to take it for the first time because you think your tolerance is up because you can't get your other heroin or whatever it is you're doing, so you go to fentanyl, um, it, it's dropping those people too. Because what happened with heroin, it's bigger, it's harder to conceal, it's more expensive to get across the border. But fentanyl... Fentanyl, you can get on the black market and you can send away for it on the internet and you can have it delivered at your door now. It's that easy to get. And and uh and I believe you can invest seven hundred dollars or six hundred dollars for a sheet of fentanyl and people cut it up, go on the street corner, and they can make ten thousand dollars from it. 
That's freaking it's, crazy. It's unbelievable, the, the business side of that. And it's all being, the businesses are usually run from people in prisons and they're controlling the streets and the gangs who are selling the fentanyl. But because the left is running the media, it, it doesn't really make the news. Yeah, like to look for it on a YouTube special or something. I've had several surgeries, so I've, I've like Percocet, uh, like one of my other surgeries. They put me on Dilaudid, Vicodin, you know, and but nothing, nothing was like that fentanyl stuff. I mean, it was just in a whole another class. Yeah, and it's so addicting. First day, and a lot of people are getting it by accident. And um, yeah. then with a big farmer, you know, got all these people addicted to drugs, prescribed drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're the most overprescribed country in the world, by the way. But so we have all these prescriptions that aren't needed. And if, if somebody has anxiety, they know to go to the doctor because you'll get an anti-anxiety prescription and then, you know, you'll get refilled forever. Other countries, if you have anxiety, you just deal with it. Just deal with it. If you're depressed, deal with it. If you lost a family member deal with it. Uh-huh. Don't try to hide it with pills. Um, but U.S. has been kind of conditioned that we, we should take medications for almost everything. And so so when the medications, when people can't get their codeine or their the oxycodone or whatever it is, then it's so much easier for them to get fentanyl. It's so much easier. It's $10 on the side of the street now. And it's, uh, it's really um, making the, the situation worse. Yeah, I have a friend uh, and uh, my former roommate who got, she's clean now, but she was on heroin. And the reason why she got on heroin is she wasn't like a drug seeker or anything else like that, is she uh, broke her neck um, and a like, fracture of vertebrae in her neck. So they put her on um, some pretty powerful narcotics. And then... She got hooked on it that way. Mm-hmm. So when, because uh, some people just, you know, they they get hooked. Um, and then once she couldn't get the narcotics anymore, she went drug seeking. This was after we. we this is she was my former roommate at this time, but uh, and then she found heroin. Thank God she's clean now. She found uh, a religion and. God and that kind of got her clean. Good for her. Good. Good. But back then, I I mean, it was, yeah. You know, the places like British Columbia, it's so bad. It's so bad up there. That's where the epidemic really started. Then it spread down to Oregon, Washington State. And it's really, really, now it's all across the United States. But um, in British Columbia, there's there's an area there where everybody, everybody is on fentanyl. And there's, there's free needles being given out at these shops. And, and you just see people frozen in place. And they're oh, walking like they're not dead. And um, it's, it, it doesn't look like this planet. It's so bad. And it's a fentanyl epidemic. And they all say, well, yeah, heroin was nothing. Heroin was, that was nothing. Um, yeah. Fentanyl is so much easier to get. It's so much more, 10 times more powerful than heroin. And um, and so the, the whole community, I think it was called Hastings Community up in British Columbia. Uh, it's a complete, you, all you hear is sirens and I, ambulances going by, picking up the bodies and putting them in. It's, it's like a war zone. It, it looks like a war zone up there. But it doesn't yeah, make Yeah, I mean, I, I, 
Oh, yeah, I, I've seen it. Uh, they call them like drug zombies or something like that. Yeah, because they freeze. They they lock up and they freeze and they don't move after they do the, whatever they're sniff, sniffing it or smoking it or taking it under their tongue. Yeah, it's wow. a, it, it, it's a, it's like really, it's insane. Um, it, it's not just in British Columbia. Like, I'm gonna, let me pull up this video so I can just show people. If you're listening to the audio only, um, this is in Philadelphia on Kingsington Street, which is known for their uh, drug zombies. Yep. Yep. I've seen that. Yeah. That that's the worst on the East Coast was uh Philly. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, hold on. You, he's you're, moving, you're gonna see he's moving still. Yeah, but you're gonna see other people that are just that are just like standing there like frozen. And uh, let, let's see when you see if they show any here. I'm looking for it, but the, like some of the people are just like frozen, frozen. They're like they're statues, like this. Yep, that's a. Yep, that's one right there. And, and you there know, are people that are that, that are like passed out standing up. Yeah, my brother helped a friend of ours when we were growing up. We had a good friend, and and that good friend called my brother. My brother had some. Uh, drug issues when he was younger growing up and he got he got clean and sober and all that but he's helped a lot of people on drugs and this one guy a friend of ours said uh, hey rick can you uh, help my son he's he's taking drugs my brother said of course i can this was just a couple of weeks ago and uh my brother went home he told the son the guy's son to meet him at the house and he had an overdose and he was standing by the side of his truck he looked like a statue he was frozen in place yeah, he overdosed uh, even before my brother got there. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like, look at these guys. Yeah, that's our city streets. That's Philly, which is really bad. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's really ridiculous. And it's scary. But, you yeah. know, a lot of the problems we have, they're kind of self-induced. Because, for one, we say, okay, you guys can take these street corners. You guys can live here. You could, you could have these free needles, do, do drugs. It doesn't matter. We'll let you stay on the streets. That's good. That's fine. Don't, don't. And we'll, we'll keep the borders open so you can get all the drugs you want. A lot of these problems we don't have to have. We, 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 we shouldn't have all the problems we have. And um, we, we need a strong leader. We need a strong government. And, and we don't have that. And uh, it's just like, yeah, let all the drugs in. Let all human trafficking thing go on. Let these people do drugs on the side of the street. If if we didn't let them, maybe some of them would say, "Well, shoot, I better go get a job," you know. But it's it's not so bad, you know. They could live on the street in New York. My God, you can't even get a hotel in New York anymore because it's all illegals who have the houses. They've got three hundred fifty dollar night hotel stays now that they're getting for free from taxpayer dollars. Yeah, wow. they they just uh, kicked out a like a like a veterans nursing home. They sure did. Yes. Sure did. Yep. Yes. Yep. So we, we don't really need these, all the problems we have. We can say, no, you can, we'll take care of you for a week or 10 days. Oh, and also they've been trying to give all those people jobs, applications to fill out jobs. It's like 2% of them filled out uh, job applications. <laughs> Why so would you, you get the same amount of money? Free. 
and then you can work under under the table yeah and then yeah. And get even more money you get a veteran will work all his life and maybe make 1800 a month for social security we're giving illegals like 2700 a month for living here uh-huh. yes we're, we're making big mistakes and we're we're kind of feeding we're we're, we're causing our own problems in oh, some yeah. ways yeah we turn a magnet on yeah, here's one. John, uh, Johnny Barr says, uh, Johnny Three Barr says, it's not just a big city problem. New Hampshire is a major hotspot. And that's right. It it's started in the major cities, but now it's radiating out. Yes. And it's affecting everyone. Yep. Yep. I know New Hampshire got it really bad, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And that's where I grew up. And I grew up in a place next door in Methuen, Mass. And they call it meth through and now it's uh yeah it's true with drugs up there yeah it's just it's just doesn't have to be though you know there's there's answers there's solutions there are answers but they're not easy answers and nobody wants to act on those easy answers because they want to be seen as insensitive you know yeah you're insensitive if that's what you want to call it, maybe you're sensitive to other people's, you know, not the, maybe you're sensitive to the, the people who, who haven't, uh, for instance, I, I had a uh, stem cell surgery and I had new stem cells put in a few years ago at the, the best medical facility I've ever been to in my life. And this was in Denver, Colorado. And this Dr. Gary gave me my stem cells. I walked in, I go, my God, what a nice place. I saw him a couple months ago. I was doing a talk in Florida and, um, I said, Gary, how's your practice? He said, I had to shut it down. I said, you had to shut down that great practice? What happened? He said, well, when I open my doors, I look left and right, and there's all homeless people, urine and feces and needles. Nobody will come to my, my, into my doors wow. anymore. And wow. he said, what's happening to all the businesses? It's the, these liberal cities, mainly, is mm-hmm. where it starts. Mm-hmm. But it is, like the, the viewer just wrote in, it does spread. It does spread. And it's really bad in West Virginia now. And, you know, they had uh, such a high unemployment rate and now they have the big drug problems. They're, they're really taking it hard, too. It's pretty amazing. I grew up in New York. I, I live 50 miles out of Manhattan. But it was like, you know, you want to go to the city, you just take a train and you're there in an hour. And I grew up with, you know, Ed Koch, Dinkins, and then Giuliani. And Giuliani, you know, it's like it was a miracle what Giuliani did to Manhattan. I, I don't know how he did it. Yeah, he did it. Yeah, Rich and my wife are basically from the same town. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mm-hmm. love Giuliani, man. He was a, he was ferocious, and he, he got that mob out of there. He cleaned up that street. Yeah. I, I went to – I used to go to New York City before that, and you, you're thinking, okay – Somebody here is going to get mugged or somebody will be killed. I mean, it's right. a dangerous place. I wouldn't want to take kids there or anything. When Giuliani cleaned it up, I had my little daughter running around at midnight. So I felt comfortable with that. Oh, yeah. for sure. Like Times Square was all peep shows and hookers yeah. and drug dealers back in the day. And, and now it's it's like Times Square is great. I mean, it still is. but mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Giuliani did something where he started at like low-level crime. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. low-level crime is the easiest to take care of. If I can take care of low-level crime, it will work its way up. He called it break the windows. Yeah, yeah the broken window theory. Yeah, the broken yeah. window theory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, actually, in my career, I worked for Bill Bratton at another job. So, 
Tell people who Bill Bryant though. I don't think anyone. Well, Bill Bryant was former police commissioner. He was police commissioner under Rudy Giuliani, and uh, he he did a lot to clean up New York City. Yeah, they they the squeegee guys they took they took care. Oh, that was nuts. And uh, that when basically it it had an effect. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. a measurable effect. It was a dramatic effect, actually. I I always wondered how how does a man clean up a city like New York City and get the mob out of there. Five families, you know, he, I don't know how he did it. I don't, I guess we heard how he did it, but it doesn't mm-hmm. seem possible what he did. That's what we need. We need a couple leaders like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like all over our cities, we need it. And in our White House, and we, we can clean up a lot of the mess we're in. Mm-hmm. And not, not just governmental. We need the regular people, regular citizens, to say enough is enough. And do their part that's that's easier said than done it is well that, that's like i keep right. saying we we got to have regular americans run for office whether it's school board or dog catcher or you know local politics we got to get regular americans in and we got to force out this ruling class well one of the things that somebody asked me one time what do i think the biggest problem facing america is and my answer was empathy People just saying, uh, nothing I can do. It's going to be the way it is. It is the way, it is what it is, and nothing I can do to change it. The bystander and, effect. Yeah, and when you have the majority of people in America saying, oh, there's nothing I can do, I'm not going to even try, that's when you run into issues because the people in power can stay in power because they know you're not going to do anything. They can do whatever the hell they want with immunity, with impunity, because yes. you're not going to challenge them. And on top of that, the left has taken the voice away of the conservative, where you're so many people are afraid to speak their mind or to get blocked on a show, or you know, uh, you you know, I'm I, I'm an author. I write these books. Here's an example. There's a uh, I told you about Ralph Pizzullo. He uh, he had two stories. One is the uh, it was a black man who was growing up in Compton, really bad area up by San Francisco, and he was in a lot of crimes. I don't know if he was with the Crips or the Bloods, but he was in a lot of gangs and things like that, gang activity. But then he straightened up, and then he went to the police academy, and then he he like excelled and was like number one in his police academy. Then he became the most decorated black police officer in law enforcement. This guy was gold. So Ralph had his story, and he was all excited about writing a book on him. And then the other one was the greatest cocaine seizure ever made in the U.S. Ralph had the story of this man who was he, he, he was a hero because he made this big, big bust, mainly on his own efforts. All the heroin got put in the, in the jail, the holding, and then it was stolen. And then he got put in prison for stealing it. And, uh, and then they found out it was wrong and that this, this FBI agent didn't steal it and he was accused wrongly. So Ralph, two great stories. He went to New York City, our publisher, and the publisher said, yeah, these are great stories. We want to publish these. This was just a few months ago. Ralph went back to Hollywood, got a call from the publisher. He said, Ralph, you better sit down. I hate to say this to you and I don't even have an answer, but I can't publish either one of your books because they're not woke books. All we're allowed to publish now are woke books. All that's on commercials now are woke commercials. 
All movies and TV shows are woke. They're not making any money. The books won't make any money. Your books would sell, but we've been stopped. We can't do any. I had, I was asked by a publisher to come up with another sequel. I wrote one of the books and the second book, they said, no, we can't publish it. They only want woke books. So it spread this woke, you know, socialistic society virus growing on us. And we do have to have normal people stand up and not be afraid to talk and speak how they feel and get voted into these community, you know, political offices and rise up to the top. We Republicans and conservatives tend to be more gentlemanlike or more polite and, and not like to make waves or sound like they're too radical. It's not radical. It's just trying to defend our country and keep our country standing yeah. up. And, um, and, and I, and, and we are where our voice is being taken away because you're afraid to get muted and uh, shut down. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. Uh, well, we it, this hour flown by. I just want to remind everybody on October 27th, there will be an episode of South Park called In, uh, Inside the Pandaverse, and Disney is threatening to sue South Park over it because they're making fun of, you know, all, all the wokeness in Hollywood and stuff. And they take some shots at Disney and Star Wars and Marvel Universe and everything else. <laughs> so I can't wait to watch that one. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so Disney is threatening to sue them and all these other places are threatening to sue them because it just goes after, you know. It deals with, like, the waste race swapping and gender swapping and all the Disney movies now. <laughs> so, they've got some guts. I, I like their... Yeah, yeah. Those guys do have some guts. Yeah. But, but we've been on for an hour now, and so we I gotta get going. I got a thing I gotta get to at 6 30. Uh Gun Doctor or Gun Doctor TV on YouTube. Gun Doctor has a lot of going on, don't you? I got a lot going on. And looking forward to more. So Gun Doctor TV everywhere. Uh Don yeah. Don, tell everyone where they can find you at. Well, you're gonna see me watching Gun Doctor TV is uh <laughs> but uh I've I've got a website, it's um my first name, Don D-O-N at usfrogman2ends.com. All right, that's awesome. Awesome. All right, guys, that is it. You can follow Flying Rich at Flying Rich, underscore official on Instagram, Flying Rich Firearm, Flying Rich on YouTube, John Crump Live, John Crump News. Read my articles over Amelan, and do check out the Uncensored podcast. You can go to uncensored.wtf and listen to it, or you can go to Rumble. Uh, and uncensored podcast on Rumble. With that, we are out of here. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, have a good day. We'll see you next week.